Last week we looked at what is mission? What is the mission? Who is on a mission? And we, we, we saw that God is on a mission. He is on a mission to get worship. And he wants worship from every nation, every family of the earth. He wants worship and he deserves it. So he desires to be worshipped and he deserves to be worshipped. And so this morning what we're going to look at is how does that play out? And how are we involved? Uh, one of the things that I heard from several of you last week, <clears throat> you said, well, after I hear a sermon like that of all the things God's up to and what he wants, his target being the world and his ends of the earth being where we're called to, I just wonder if I'm supposed to quit my job and become a missionary. Is that the only appropriate response? And while I like hearing that, I think, what Ben called that was that that's an itch so don't scratch it let them sit with that itch that's not a bad question to ask right to how do I fit into this mission and how do I connect my life my thoughts my prayers my money to the ends of the earth if God's as passionate for his name this morning on the other side of the planet as he is here what should I do about that but I want you to see today that there our other options, <laughs> and we can't just all quit our jobs and go, right? And I want you to see how God plays out his mission in Romans chapter 15. So if you'll turn to Romans chapter 15, we're going to read 15 verses here where Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Romans with some warnings and some final sayings, final instruction, <clears throat> I want you to see some things this morning. We're going to read these 15 verses. We're going to make about three or four observations. And then we've only got one satellite in Acts towards the end. Okay? That's where we're headed. I want you to look for and listen for how Paul talks about the mission. Look for your role as a church in the mission. Think about your role individually in this mission. I want you to listen for the heart of the missionary. Okay? Listen to the heart of the missionary and how that affects his church and his churches. It's, it's a little frustrating. I've heard Ben and Scott say this before. To know what you all and our, all our families are bringing in here this morning. To know that there are struggles. Disappointments. Failures, that, that we bring those with us in here. And what I'm hoping this morning is that we get caught back up into the truth that our great God is not surprised by any of it. And number two, that he is up to something and at work. He is still calling people to himself. And he's at work, and it's bigger than your life and my life individually. It's bigger than your problems. And hopefully give us some perspective on the struggles that we're in that our great God is still at work. And he is on a mission. And I hope that 
kind of pulls us back into some truth that will help us bring perspective to our lives. Hopefully. Okay. Verse 14. Romans 15. Paul's wrapping up his letter, and this is what he says to the Romans. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written you very boldly by way of reminder, because the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's Isaiah 52. He's quoting there. Verse 22. This is the reason why I have, I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased, the churches there, have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owed it to them. They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in spiritual blessings, they ought also to be service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. The first observation that I want you to see here in this passage is, uh, why is Paul satisfied? Why does he feel like his ministry is being fulfilled? The mission is becoming accomplished, all right? It's, It's not mission accomplished yet, but why does he feel like He's satisfied with what's gone on in this church. Why is it fulfilling to him? And why does he believe and how does he say that he's proud of the work of God through him in this church? And he says it in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. One of the things, one of the signs that the ministry, this mission is being fulfilled is that there are people gathering, the church is gathering, and they're able to teach one another. Somebody, at some point, raised up someone to teach well in this church, to instruct well, so that the people have good knowledge of the gospel, good details. They have sound doctrine, good teaching. And that's an important note for in just a few minutes towards the end of the sermon in that this is 
the, at the heart of the mission is good teaching. That's actually who is sent. Preachers, teachers, tellers, instructors. And so it's a marker that we can't skip over and that Paul is satisfied. And he is calling the mission becoming fulfilled. It's going well and there is success. Why? Because there's a people gathering, a people of God gathering here and they can teach. And so they don't need Paul to continue to teach them. Paul is needed somewhere else. And so he goes on. Okay? Now in verse 15 through 18, what he's saying is he's reminding this, this is a predominantly Gentile church, a few Jews in this church, but he's reminding this group that he was called to the Gentiles. He was called not just to the Jews. He's reminding this church in Rome that this God that we've preached about, this great God and the good news about him, this God is no longer a one-nation God. He's no longer a one-nation God. He's not just for Israel anymore. And he is called in his mission to take this good news to all nations, the Gentiles. The passage that Scott read just a few moments ago, 14, uh, 15, verse 8 through 13, where Paul is quoting from Isaiah. And he says, I came to the, Jesus came for the Jews first to fulfill the promise to the patriarchs, to prove that he was true. And now, now that he's proven true, he's for He's blowing this thing open, and he's no longer just a one-nation God. He wants to be the God of every nation, and that is his target, and that is his goal. So, Romans, don't forget that. That's why I came to you, and that's that's my ambition, is to take this gospel, and that should be your ambition. Don't forget. And and that also affirms his ministry to them. Don't question. don't, Don't question. Remember what I taught you. Remember why I was called and remember what's really going on here. God is getting his glory and he wants it from all Gentiles. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I wrote down as point two, mission accomplished, question mark. Mission accomplished? How can he say in this massive region that his ministry has been fulfilled? Does he mean that? Man, I I have word and testimony and I've got decision cards from everyone that lives in that whole region. They're on our Sunday school roll, right? We have them in membership. Got everybody done. Everybody in this region is a believer now. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he is meaning is that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, there were people gathering. There was a church. And so when there's a church of people gathering, heralding the good news about Jesus, good instruction, good teaching, filled with knowledge, when that people exists in that region, the mission is being fulfilled. When that supper is being fed in that region, in that area, when people are being baptized and believing 
his mission is being fulfilled when there's a church present. The, I hope that hits you in that you are the church. And his mission is being fulfilled when we exist together. That, that's big. That's how he is accomplishing the mission is through the church. And so the goal is for there to be churches where they are weak or non-existent. And that's why he says, I'm not staying here any longer. I'm not going to stay here. I'm moving on. You have people that can instruct you. You have good instructors. The, the gospel's being proclaimed here. You have good knowledge, and I'm moving on. I thought about the heritage here at, at uh, Crosspoint, you know, um, and how this has played out for us. We've, we've watched this happen over the last 14, 15 years. Um, Ridgecrest Baptist Church had a vision. Sam Douglas had a vision and others there that there be another church in this area heralding the good news with good teaching and good instruction. That was a part of the vision to, that, that there be a church that was biblical, another one that was biblical would preach because there were still people in Greenville, in Hunt County, who were not giving God the worship that he deserves. They were not a part of the people. And here's another opportunity for another people to gather to herald the good news so that God would get his worship that he deserves and he wants. And when they sent a team here, they, they didn't send the people they were hoping to get rid of. We didn't get the lesser group. Jeff Collins and his family, the Moody's, the Perones. We got uh, Mr. McClure. We got people who were hungry for good teaching, who appreciated good teaching. Some of them could teach, and they were all leading well already at their church. So make that note. Good instructors came. And then what did they do? Sam went and found a good preacher. Right? Found Ben McGraw. And Ben comes, and that was his aim, and it has been his aim, to teach and preach the gospel well. That is the tip of the spear in the mission, to teach and preach the gospel well. And that has been the mission all along. And we've seen it and enjoyed it. Right? And then what has happened out of here? Have we sent some pretty good teachers and preachers? Yes, when we were burdened for commerce. Uh, a good teaching, good instruction, uh, full of knowledge, uh, gospel-heralding church and commerce. There was a burden for that with some families here. What did we do? We got connected with David Ferguson. Good teacher, good preacher, sound doctrine, vetted. And he was sent. And what has happened since? God has equipped them with good teachers and good preaching. And then last year... We had a connection with and a burden for Rockwall. That there be another church that would herald good instruction, good preaching, sound doctrine, able to instruct one another. And we came uh, across Lance, Shoemate, Kai Martin, and Ryan Lewis. And we sent them out to be a church that hopefully will eventually do that. Multiply themselves, raise up good teachers and preachers, and be on mission. You know, the other side of the coin here is how great would it be if we just built an all-star team and just kept all those guys here? Man, we could do some... Think of how we could just make this place great, right? If we could just keep some of these guys. But no, 
God calls the church to send out people to start churches that are good instructors and good teachers and good preachers. It would be great if we could keep Derek and Casey here. Derek could uh, lead our small groups again. He did that so well. I mean, it would be great to have he and Casey here mentoring and discipling. That would be wonderful. But God has called them, the Spirit has called them to go and be a part of starting churches among unreached people groups. And so we've sent them out. And so it would have been great for the Romans to be able to keep Paul. But that was not an option because in verse 20, he's headed to Spain. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. An understanding of who he is is coming, and they will recognize him, and he will get his glory, but they won't until someone teaches them. And there are no churches there, and so I'm going there to start it. The church. This is the missionary ambition. Preach the gospel to those who have never heard it. There are some that are actually sent out from us with this ambition and it becomes our ambition in the sending. And you are connected to that. All those people that I just said we have sent from here. You are connected to that. It's been their ambition to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard it. And that becomes your ambition and you're a part of it in sending. with hopes that the mission will be fulfilled. How? How can we hope that the mission will be fulfilled? By a church. What is Paul's hope? That there'll be a church in Spain soon. There will be a church in Spain soon. I'm going to herald the good news. I'm going to raise up some good instructors. Good news of a great God among peoples who have never heard it. That's the missionary ambition. Now, in verse 22 through 28, what he's doing, and this is where you come in, is he is mobilizing, okay? I want you to watch for how Paul mobilizes this church. Some of it's a little comical how he does it, but he says, this is the reason I have so often been hindered to coming to you because on my mind, on my heart, what I'm thinking about is where Christ isn't, and so I've been busy starting churches in this region. And churches are sending churches. And churches are sending people out. And that's my ambition. That's why I haven't been able to come to you. And then he says something uh, in verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor. Now, Macedonia and Achaia were not rich people. They, 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 this, they didn't give a gift, we'll look at this next week, out of abundance. They gave out of what they had, and they gave sacrificially. And it's almost like Paul is telling the Romans, hey, everybody, I'm coming back through, and hint, hint, right now I've got an offering that two other churches gave, and they gave resources and gave money. So, hint, hint, I'm coming back through your church here soon. Hint, hint, Uh, I'll take this offering back to Jerusalem, then I'll come to you, okay? Hint, hint, there might be an offering taken up. And he goes on to say in verse 28, or 27, Achaia 
and Macedonia were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owed it to them, the Jews, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and delivered to them what has been connected, watch this phrase, I will leave for Spain by way of you. He's not just stopping off for a visit. Paul's intention is for this Romans church to launch him to Spain. Yes, these other churches are playing a part of that in sending him, but I'm coming by way of you. I'm going to spend some time with you, but I want you to help me, he says. I need your help. I need your support. And you're going to send me and be a part. I will be the one going, but you will be going with me through your prayers and support. And that's what the sending church does. That's how you're a part of it. Some will be called out to go. Everyone else is called to support it. That is how you, your thoughts, your prayers, your time, your money is connected to the ends of the earth through your church. And some of you may or may not know this, but uh, at Crosspoint, the leadership several years ago has set aside money in the budget to fund your going whether it's long-term or short-term. It's called global discipleship. And we have funds set aside. Now, as the missions elder, I haven't always done a great job mobilizing you to those opportunities, but God is raising up a generation in our students right now who are willing to say, I'm going to go. They have this missionary ambition to be a part of it, whether short-term or long-term, and we are supporting them. And when you give to Crosspoint regularly, and your tithe, you are a part of funding and helping to assist the mission. Because in your giving, we are setting aside a, a, a portion of that to support the mission. And so you're a part of that. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> you're a part of ascending church. And I just want to, to make you aware that you are a part of that when you give a tithe to this church. You're a part of that. You're linked and connected to the ends of the earth. Now, I told you there's one satellite, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to do this. Hopefully, I won't fumble it. But if the book of Acts were a movie, uh, and boy, it would be a good movie. Um, <laughs> if you've ever read any part of Acts, it would make a great movie. But what I want to do is from chapter 10 of Acts through 13, I just want to kind of build a trailer for the movie for you, okay? We, we haven't been in Acts in a long time, so there's a lot of... of um, Background information that I'm going to try and give you. I just want you to see, and from Acts 10 to 13, a few passages of what it looks like or what it looked like when this church, the church, the first churches are getting off the ground. The, the first churches are getting off the ground. The first churches are starting to send and how they are on mission and what it looks like. Okay? Just to kind of give you an idea of what this should look like and hopefully affirm how we are sending, but also challenge us to consider how our God moved from the very beginning through his church. Let's start in, uh, in chapter 10 of Acts. And I'm just going to point out a few verses. You can follow along if you want or you can just listen. But in Acts 10... What is going on here is Peter has just had a vision, okay? Peter uh, has had a vision that 
God is no longer showing partiality, that this gospel is not just for Israel anymore. Okay, don't call things unclean that I've created. Uh, he's, he's blowing Peter's mind uh, literally and figuratively with a vision that this thing is for all peoples, Peter. Okay, and uh, in verse 10... I mean, chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good, and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. So, so Peter stands up in front of these Gentiles and starts preaching. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on them who heard the word. And he, the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Okay, this is the crux of where... God is no longer a one-nation God, and he is blowing their minds with other Gentiles are believing? The Holy Spirit was poured out on a Gentile? Yes. For they were hearing and speaking in tongues, extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people that have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Where's the water? These people are ready to be baptized. Here we go. This thing is being blown open to all peoples. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Okay, so it gets blown open. In Acts 11, the Jewish Christians hear that Peter preached to the Gentiles. And they start questioning about it. What in the world are you doing and how did it go? Okay, this is news to us because the Gentiles hearing this good news or this being for them... Is new to us, and we don't know how this is going to go. And so they question Peter over it. And then look at verse 18, chapter 11, verse 18. And when they heard, the people who were questioning Peter about preaching to the Gentiles, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. He really is calling all peoples to himself. And they really are believing. And you really baptize them. Glory to God. It's happening. And also in verse 11, there's good teaching going on. Barnabas brings Saul in to teach for a year in the Antioch. And they take up an offering to bring relief to other churches. All throughout 10 through 13, it's like, a couple of times they just stop down and just take up an offering because another church needs it. Because they're, they're seeing God use the church and they're seeing God send people out to create more churches. And there's just this open-handed, big-hearted, free-flowing resources and prayers. And, oh, you need a teacher over there? Here, here, Saul. You, you need Barnabas? Here, here you go. Oh, that church needs some money. Well, let's take up an offering. Let's take care of them. There's just this cooperation that's being orchestrated, and it's beautiful. And it's reactionary. It's, it's, not, it's like these people are agile. They're ready to go 
to help in the mission. This thing's going to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are believing. What do you need? Need a teacher. Here's Barnabas and Saul. And that's what happens in chapter 13. If you look at chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. And, and back in verse 12, something really crazy happens is that James is killed. And then Peter is imprisoned. So, it's difficult. Bad things happen. It's not going to be easy. James is pulled in and Peter are pulled in and James is killed. And then Peter gets imprisoned. Then Peter gets rescued. Okay? That would be a cool part of the movie. Peter gets rescued. And then something really weird happens whenever the Gentiles and the Jews hear Herod come out to pontificate in, in chapter 12. Look at verse 21 of chapter 12. Watch what God does. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, most likely pontificating about his greatness. And the people were shouting. The Christians were shouting. The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. It'd be a great movie. I mean, God is doing things here, and he is proving that he is God. He wants worship, and he will get it from all peoples. And then in chapter 13, I want you to look at chapter 13, the first few verses there of Acts. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then afterwards, praying, they had laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now where did they go? They went to this island of Cyprus. Why Cyprus? I have no idea. You would think that there would be much more strategic places, much more cities and ports that would be more strategic for the gospel to go out. But they sent them to an island. I don't know why, but that's, what God, that's where God, the Holy Spirit, wanted them to go. But look what happens in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, the island. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a, upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. And he was with the proconsul, a Roman, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Remember, teachers are the tip of the sword in the mission. But Elemus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for some time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul, this Roman that's just with the magician, believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at what? The teaching of the Lord. 
He was astonished and he believed. Now, if you look in the back of your Bible and you look at these missionary journeys and where these people were sent out, it does not look strategic. <laughs> it's this, okay, go over there, now stop and come back and then get halfway back and go over here and, and go over there and just doesn't look real strategic because this mission is not efficient. It's wildly inefficient. It's not necessarily going to look strategic to us. And it's not going to be easy. This sending mission. So, you get the little trailer to the movie, which I probably didn't do a very good job of. But it would make a good movie, you have to admit. We get some observations here. This mission, we know, is for all peoples. This sending mission... It will be opposed. And some people might likely die. If you know anything about what has happened in the last four weeks, about the four missionaries who died in the Middle East, they were killed because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus. But they couldn't sleep anywhere else. They couldn't rest unless they were preaching to those people. The mission is for the church to send and start other churches and to assist them in the short term. In chapter 13 of Acts, we see the church send John to go with Barnabas and Saul for just a short time to help them, and then he comes home. There's just this slinging around of people, good, slinging around of good teachers and preachers and money, and it's just flying around. This mission will require offerings of relief from a shallow-rooted, open-handed, big-hearted people. The mission is to preach and teach the good news. Now you're saying, Brad, you've said that a million times the last two weeks. The mission is to preach and teach the good news. And I say that here because we have to, as a people, be careful what we call a mission trip. Be careful what you call Mission. Is painting someone's house for them a good deed? Absolutely. Is going and digging wells in a country that needs water a good thing? Absolutely. Is that an opportunity for the church to get involved? Absolutely. But if it's not tethered and connected to someone there, good instructor, teaching and preaching the good news, it's not a part of the mission. The mission is to preach and teach the good news. So we must be careful what we call mission. And let's don't adulterate that word. Good preachers and good teachers are the ones sent on mission. They spearhead the mission. That doesn't mean that if you're not a good teacher, you can't go on a mission trip. No. But missions is about teaching and preaching the good news and so... That is what marks the mission. And this mission will rarely be efficient. God could have done this in so many other ways, using so many people with much more influence, so much more strategic, but we trust him when he says go, when the Holy Spirit says set them apart. And the last thing, he always calls us to go in plurality, and he calls us out by plurality.
Here's what I mean by that. He, he never calls a Lone Ranger to go on mission. He'll never call you to do mission alone. He calls you to go with a team. He calls you to be prepared to be a part of the teaching, to support the teaching and the preaching. He will call those out to be on mission. If it's a family that's supposed to go to the ends of the earth, they will be called to go as a family, a part of a team. They will be called to go in plurality. But here's the kicker. They will be called by plurality. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit didn't pull Paul, Saul and Barnabas aside in their tent and say, Hey, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I want you all to go, but you're going to have to convince everybody else that you're supposed to go. No. The Holy Spirit told the church, those four men in the first two verses, he told them, all the leadership and the teachers and instructors there, he said, set aside Barnabas and Saul. So he will affirm and confirm your sending by the plurality of your church. He will send you in plurality and he will send you by plurality. And that's what's happening every week. When you leave plurality here, you are being sent to your neighborhood and to your job and to your family to proclaim and teach and preach the good news of Jesus and a great God. God will always be faithful. He will always be faithful to complete this mission. He promises to be with us. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, this is another quote from Isaiah, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to me. That's another encouraging thing. If you're a part of this mission, if you're aligning your life, your money, your prayers, your thoughts with the ends of the earth and where you live, if you're uh, worshiping this morning a God that's no longer a one-nation God who's after His glory among all peoples, you're a part of something that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Why would we not want to align our lives with something that's foolproof? It's going to happen. Why would we not? align our lives. The question of whether or not you're supposed to sell everything and become a missionary is the wrong question. Have we aligned our lives, time, prayer, money, resources, thoughts, and connections with this mission that's going to be accomplished? That's the question. You're attending ascending church. Are you thinking about the mission? Are we remembering the mission that he's on? Being a part of God's mission, um, giving to an offering, going on a mission trip, raising the funds, praying more for Derek and Casey, praying for our team of students that's going out, all those things, um, we can very easily do that out of guilt and just say, you know, we're supposed to do it. Maybe, well, God called me to it, so I'm just going to obey him. But even more than that, I want you to see something. We are a going and ascending people because God is a going and ascending God. He is in plurality, Father, Son, and Spirit. He sent Jesus. And then what does Jesus say before he leaves? If I don't go away... I can't send you the helper. 
John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to this world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And the Spirit sends the church. While they were worshiping and fasting, Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on and sent them off. Our God is a plurality, a community of greatness that is a sending God. And so we will be a sending people.